Welcome to your new favorite book club, a podcast hosted by two close brothers living too far apart, ever searching for your new favorite book. Hi, and welcome to your new favorite book club. I'm this week's host, Danny Coleman. I'm here along with my guest this week, host the next, my co-brother, the Coleman himself, Joey Coleman. How you doing, Joey? I am doing great. I'm very excited that we're back at this podcast stuff. It's been too long, but now you're settled. So uh, let's get back in it. Yeah, I had a big move down to Texas from Massachusetts and I'm happily ready to jump back in here. Speaking of jumping back in, this was us jumping back into an old world that we've been familiar with in the past. And I jumped into a book version. Usually I've been doing Kindles for all of our books because I've been getting them from the library. But I wanted to get the book to go with my set. And it felt so good to open a real book again like that smell oh yeah i haven't had that enough lately it's so evocative you know yeah oh man i mean i definitely get that i love the feeling of holding a book and just feeling the pages and i like being able to really feel my progress through it as i dog ear it don't get mad at me for dog earing my books oh no, i would never i think books are made to make your own yeah. I like writing in them, dog earing them. I think that's how they should they got, be treated. They got to be loved. Yeah, exactly. Love is a feeling, not just an idea. So you got to give that book a feeling. <laughs> and hopefully it gives you some feels back. Yeah, exactly. I think it's mostly the, the smell of glue that we're smelling with a fresh book. <laughs> so we're getting, we're getting a little high? I guess it's the book high. Hi, kids. Here's an important message from your Uncle Bill. Don't buy drugs. Anyways, so let's jump in. On this week's episode. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins by Danny and Joey Coleman. Chapter one. The pre-ramble. So Danny, what was uh what was your book of choice this time? We went for The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins renowned author of such hits as Hunger Games and uh, Hunger Games, the sequel. Uh, <laughs> did, did, you, did you read all those books? Did you see the movies and stuff? Yeah, I did. I, I actually rewatched um, the first movie in quarantine. Oh, nice. Did it hold up? Yeah, it was fun. Were you a fan of the books? I When the books came out, I really enjoyed the first one. And I read the other two. yeah that that's a totally accurate reflection of how i feel too but that being said i was i was looking forward to jumping back into the world as you said uh when i heard this new one was coming out totally me too uh so yeah in in true hollywood style suzanne collins went back to the well for this book she's revisiting her hunger games world but we're going to the prequel so before Katniss is part of the story. This is actually published in May 2020, so it's fairly hot off the presses. The story centers on uh, Coriolanus Snow. So he's the president at the time of the, the actual Hunger Games series, but this is his early life. Um, you may remember him as the guy who bombed children uh, and kept giving roses to an underage girl in the Hunger Games trilogy. Well, he's our hero now. <laughs> the book picks up like uh, leading up to the 10th anniversary of the Hunger Games, so fairly early on in the history of the Hunger Games. And it's the first year that they're using mentors for the tributes. And uh, Coriolanus, or Corio, is uh, picked to be one of the mentors. 
and he's a member of this like the elite snow family in the capital but secretly when we meet him at first he's actually poor and kind of on the brink of losing his family home so there's a lot of stakes he's really desperate to regain the snow family's glory and fame and um money love it i mean that's i remember being excited to read it after i heard the uh the summary of it yeah me too i think it's uh it's an interesting idea trying to make coriolanus the narrator after we struggle with him and uh as the main kind of enemy in the other books it's very you know breaking bad or uh star wars prequel yeah yeah totally hey dan why'd you pick this book for us well joe I had read all the original Hunger Games, and I really liked the first one, especially, like you were saying. I feel it was kind of like Suzanne Collins herself with the other two, where like we were all trying to recapture that feeling of the first one and kind of recycling things over and over, hoping it would be as good, and it just wasn't. And I saw the movies, and they were okay, but I'm never really into the book or the movie adaptations of books. I'm always like, why do it like I imagined it? You got to become a producer. Yeah, eh, pass. I just want them to do it like I imagined it. And uh, who would you recommend the book to? I, th- I mean, it's in the young adult category still, like the original Hunger Games, but it really doesn't feel like it's trying to capture a new audience. Uh, I feel like making such an unsympathetic narrator as your main person makes it kind of a hard sell to new readers. So it, to me, it really feels like it's it's for people who are into the old series. It's just like fan fiction to try to spend a little more time in this world that you did enjoy at some point. A hundred percent. I very much agree. Definitely. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's definitely what I would have said to you for who I'd recommend the book to. Nice. All right. Well, we're jiving so far. So let's see, let's see where we have some disagreements as we go. Chapter Two, sheet music. So before we dive in, we'd like to set the mood a little bit by sharing a song or an album or an artist that we think pairs really well with the read. You know, the book itself has some songs in it. It's mostly uh, the tribute, Lucy Gray Baird, who's singing. But her songs were all pretty similar. Like they're like sad, like mournful dirge kind of thing where she keeps being like, and I've got one more thing to say before I go. And then doesn't say anything else the song kind of ends so they don't add a ton to the narrative but um they are kind of consistent with the suzanne collins world of um putting some songs in there yeah you like the music um i did like the music i think it was probably some of my favorite writing from the book like the things that stood out to me the most but i'm glad you opened up with it because uh i did pick a folk song because of the Covey and how kind of folky they felt. Um, mm. So I picked the song Country Roads by John Denver. I've heard that one before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This might be our first disagreement because I, I know you probably don't love that song. I don't. Perfect. Well, I have numerous <laughs> reasons here. So bear with me. Okay. All right. The, sell me on it, Joey. First one, classic folk song, uh, arguably one of the most famous American folk songs. And the Covey is very folky, like I said. Uh, but number two is it is a very overplayed song. And you know the words by heart. But you can't help but sing along. At least I can't. And then, so like the book, I thought the book was a very easy read. Kind of knew what was happening. But I still got into it and had fun. Like I would karaoke the book if I could. Okay, that makes sense. 
Um, and then my last point, I have one more point, is because the song is all about going home. And there's a, that's a big theme in the book. Corio needs to go home. Lucy Gray needs to go home. But what is home for them? Cutting. <laughs> and true. Yeah, even like Sejanus, who's a, like a bit more of a secondary character, is struggling with what is home. Is this home? I kind of want to go back to where my home was originally. Totally. Uh, good, good call. Thanks. What did you pick? I went with Cœur de Pirates cover of uh, a weekend song, Wicked Games. And I thought, I mean, first of all, just Wicked Games, the title is pretty accurate, fitting for the world that we're in with the Hunger Games. I think it captures a lot of the themes of what what it was like to sit with a narrator who does have that level of evilness to him and seeing him struggle with the idea of what is love and um, how, how does it serve me versus how, how can I serve the person that I do love. Do, do you think that you weren't able to let go of your preconceived notions of Coriolanus because of the the trilogy? Or do you think that you were able to start with him fresh? And, or, and did you find that he was like bad right away? Or did you think he grew into it? That's a, it's a good question. And it transitions us perfectly into what I want to talk about in the next chapter. Great, let's do it. Chapter three. In a word. I mean, I guess I could start, but I want to throw it to you first. So that was a preview of what I want to talk about. But Joey, if you had to describe the experience of reading this book or the book itself in only one word, what would that word be? All right. Uh, so I am going with my experience of reading the book. And okay. my word that I've come up with is satiated. Mm. I enjoyed okay. the book. It was fun. It had some fun callbacks to the trilogy. Maybe my word should be fun, uh, but I picked satiated <laughs> because my hunger eh, has been satiated. Mm, oh. Not that I was particularly hungry for a new Hunger Games after two and three until I heard that this one was coming out. And then once I heard it was coming out, I was like, you know what? I want to I want to jump back into the world. Let's have some fun. And I, I actually enjoyed this one more than two and three, which I know some super fans uh, would disagree with. How about you, Dan? I guess I'll, I'll just say what my word is and then I'll get into it. So my word is miss. It felt like, it's for a couple of reasons. The first is it felt like Collins missed with the main character to me. I get the idea of in a prequel wanting to like have the, the writing challenge of taking who you think of as the villain and trying to make you see them as a more complex person, at least, if not like some parts of them as you're reading it. But I really think it was a swing and a miss. You can see what she's trying to do, though. Like, she she puts us on a first-name basis with him so that we're not thinking of him as President Snow. We're thinking of him as like Coriolanus or even Corio almost all the time. She shows him as, like, much lower status in the book, partly through things like nicknaming him Corio, partly through having other people who are more powerful than him talk down to him, partly because he's, he's poor and desperate to protect his family. So she, like, gives him motivations that it feels like could be a setup for that complexifying act but it really it just felt like it didn't actually hit home to me it just felt like so narcissistic from the beginning that i just i, I couldn't connect with 
trying to see him as a more complex character. It, it felt like even Suzanne Collins was struggling to let go of her own idea of President Snow as this evil guy and like couldn't help but writing in little things that show how he actually is this like pretty shit person. Yeah, I can totally see that. That's a that's a really good point. You you wish maybe that he had developed into that calculated narcissistic person as opposed to just start out that way. Yeah, I think it would have been nicer to to keep him a little bit more unsullied at the beginning, a little more white as snow. I also picked Miss because I felt like it was a miss not to go with her actual most compelling character in this book, which is Miss Lucy Gray Baird. I loved her from her first entrance. She was so fun. Yeah, I loved her too. When she comes in and she says she's getting interviewed as like the um, tribute for District 12, and they ask her about her dress, and she says, this dress was my mama's. And then the reporter goes, oh, is she in District 12? And she says, just her bones, darling, just her pearly white bones. I was like, oh, God, that's so confrontational and so poetic and charming. Like, I just yeah. fell in love with her from the first line. I loved her, too. Like, I, I had a crush on Lucy Gray. Yeah, me, me too, from the beginning. Yeah. Tractor beam. <clears throat> Sucked me right in. So, so Suzanne can write compelling characters, and I just feel like I, I, she missed on trying to do it with Corio. Then, I mean, I think I think you're probably right. I think she probably had those preconceived notions of President Snow that she couldn't let go of, and at least wanted to like keep dropping hints, but maybe was dropping too many hints that were too obvious. And the last reason I picked the word miss is because it just made me miss Katniss and the first book, which is what I felt when I read the sequels too. Like it's just like there, it's all just feels like a um, a recycling of the world and we're all just trying to recapture what it felt like to be in that first book or what it felt like to write that first book and um it's fun i guess to be back in the world but it just makes me miss the actual world that i really enjoyed i i do get what you're saying that it kind of feels uh fan fictiony i wonder if she could have picked a different character to to do the prequel about yeah what's his name woody harrelson's character that he played in the movie hamish hamish that could have been interesting that would have been interesting. Yeah, agreed. But maybe it just wasn't far like away enough to make different than the original trilogy. Yeah, and I can see how as an author, like it's more fun to, to, to build, to have this sandbox that you get to play in that's like, I'm going to really flip it on you. I just wish she had been successful. <laughs> Chapter four, potent quotables. Danny, I'm just curious, what stuck out or stuck with you from the book? Do you have any specific lines that you uh, wrote down or passages? Now you've got the pearly white bones. Any others? I pulled out two other parts. One of them is trying to illustrate the fact that I actually thought that this was a fairly funny book, or at least it had funny moments. Like I laughed out loud a few times reading the book, which I don't remember doing in the Hunger Games series at all. There's a part when Corio learns about the tradition of sprinkling breadcrumbs at funerals in District 2. And uh, it's supposed to be this touching moment that we're finding out about it. And Corio thinks to himself, how much bread they wasted on that nonsense. Oh no, he starved to death. Somebody get the bread. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it captures how Corio is kind of like, excuse the word, but dickish through the book. But it also... 
you know, it has, it gives her opportunities to make some funny moments like that. So I appreciated that. The other thing that I stood out to me was that there are, it's kind of few and far between, but there are some moments where she has some legit compelling observations about what it is to be a human, which I think is an important part of writing in general and why we enjoy reading. Um, one of them came through an, another character that I really liked, who's Sejanus, or that's how I say it. How do you say it? Yeah, I say Sejanus. Sejanus. I give him a nice soft J. Um, Sejanus. So, <laughs> no, not that. Not that liquidy. <laughs> I believe it's jogging or yogging. It might be a soft J. I'm not sure, but Sejanus. He's a he's a classmate of Corio's, and he's this like outsider character who's from District Two. His dad bought his way into the elite capital, and he's kind of always struggling with where he fits in. And there's this part in the book where Sejanus is feeling really guilty about his role and this bad outcome, and Corio's trying to reassure him that it's not working. And Sejanus has a line that I thought really was poignant. He says, "I know, I know. I'm so blameless. I'm choking on it." I think it, it captures the what I think of as the unbridgeable gap between knowing and feeling. Like we can know something is true and we can hear it from other people and agree with them, but knowing something is true and feeling it's true are just totally different things that don't connect. They're separate worlds, knowing and feeling. And I think that line really catches that. Yeah. Blameless Sayanus. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about you, Joe? Did you pull some some writerly lines out? I actually did not, uh, which I thought was funny because usually this is one of our longer sections, but there was no mm. real specific lines that stuck with me. And I did find it a, a very easy read and I was reading it fast. So maybe that's why. Um, but uh, as I said before, I think some of my favorite writing were in some of the songs. I like that she reprised, are you, are you coming to the tree? Uh, that's an mm. earworm for sure. Um, yeah. But I do have, so although I don't have any specific quotes, I do have two kind of chunks uh, about the writing that I wanted to pull out. Perfect. So she did follow uh, the literary critic Northrop Fry's Green World theory. Uh, do you remember <laughs> yeah, this? I was going to say, no, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I wrote an essay uh, in university comparing Some Like It Hot, it's a great movie, to to Shakespeare plays uh, using Northrop Fry's, oh God, I can't even say his name, Northrop Fry's <laughs> Green World Theory, which is about, uh, it's specifically to Shakespeare, but during a story when main characters are taken from their quote-unquote real world, into this unknown place of nature where he or she learns all these things about themselves and then gets thrust back into the real world afterwards. So mm. I, I thought Corio really becomes the president snow character more and more. Uh, I think I, I gave in a little bit more to like understanding that he wasn't, totally evil from the start more than you did and that he slowly becomes more and more evil throughout it while he's you know in the green world which in this case would be district 12 
and you know with his like hating on the jabber jays and the mocking jays to the gruesome the gruesome things he does at the end and says at the end but the other thing that i want to note was that uh she did pull some shakespeare references as well with coriolanus obviously being one of shakespeare's plays uh and he was a military leader that took over rome and was a politician so i kind of thought that was fitting from you know originally yeah. being president snow and now and then also in real history sejanus was the name of a famous roman soldier who was close friends with an emperor and had a very similar story to our young sejanus plinth <laughs> <laughs> that's killing me <laughs> I'm so upset for Sejanus that you're saying his name that way. <laughs> chapter 5. Popuri. In this chapter, we'd like to take a few deep dives and side strolls into the rabbit holes that this book sent us down. And as always, we'll do it in the form of everyone's favorite quiz show with your correct answer coming in the form of a question and then followed by some additional tasty trivia tidbits. Joey, are you ready to play Popuri? I sure am. The first ever known prequel, The Kypria, describes the events following up to this well-known epic poem about the destruction of the city of Troy. What is the Iliad? Ding, 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 ding. Nice. So yeah, that's Ooh. the first known prequel in maybe at least Western history, if not all of storytelling history cool i i did not know that so someone there's not there's not that much we know about it yeah i'll, I'll share a little bit so someone named stazinus wrote it it's the prequel to the iliad and it was a blockbuster in its time but that's literally all we know about it we know it was popular because there's all these other texts that talk about the book or the poem but and we know that the poem itself existed at some point in physical form in at least one book but that book and no copies of it or excerpts from it have been seen in millennia. Whoa. Don't you want to find that book somewhere? I really want to find that book. Yeah. Facts like that make me wish that I was Indiana Jonesing around the world. Yeah, me too. All I got is my little metal detector finding pennies. <laughs> Why can't that book be made out of metal? <laughs> made out of pennies. <laughs> I have uh, I have a little trivia for you. Oh, yes. You know I love trivia. This poet wrote about Lucy Gray before Suzanne Collins did. Who is Wordsworth? Bing, bing, bing. Oh, Nailed baby. it. Didn't even need any extra hints. I don't know that, though. I just guessed it. What's the, what's the reference? Um, he actually has a few different ones, um, but he has the Lucy poems. And he has a whole book of lyrical ballads called Lucy Gray. It's all about, well, I don't want to say this yet because it'll come up later, but it, it, it does have, uh, she definitely pulled it from him. Chapter six, question authority. If the author had chosen to join us today, what is the one question you would ask her? The question that's burning most in my mind is one that I think we'll get to in the next chapter, <laughs> which is th there's a 
there's a hanging chat at the end of this book that was not quite resolved that oh, yeah. I would really like to know the answer to. Um, so that's my, my big question and I'll, I'll bring it up in the next chapter. So my substitute question is, um, if you had to spin off another character from the Hunger Games trilogy, who would it be? Or rather, were there other characters that you considered spinning off other than Coriolanus Snow? That's a great, great, great question. I wonder, because she for sure thought about, obviously she knew she was doing a spinoff, probably going to prequel, but I wonder if there was anyone else in consideration besides President Snow. Yeah, I wonder if she even tried writing someone else for a bit and was like, this isn't working. Yeah, good. I wish she had done that about Coriolanus. (laughs) 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 What about you, Joe? What would you ask? Um, Well, I do have to say that I already know what your hanging chat is, and I think Wordsworth might answer that for you. So we'll get to that next chapter. But Oh, well, good, good detective work. Thank you. My first question is, Suzanne Collins, what do you think about J.K. Rowling right now? <laughs> um, and my second question that I've actually uh, had written down months ago before all of this uh, J.K. stuff came out, I would want to ask Suzanne about her historical and literary research because as you've seen there's a few things with Shakespeare and actual history and Wordsworth that I've pulled out I'm sure there's a ton more references in there that I'd be curious to hearing about and I'd even be curious to hearing her um, reasons for all the ones that we've already mentioned yeah it would be fun to have like an annotated version where she just has little notes in for all the different references that are in there because it does feel like there are a fair amount but it would be cool to know, right? Like for Lucy Gray, for example, it sounds like, you know, you haven't told me the details yet, but it sounds like it's pretty adherent to the Wordsworth uh, storyline. So I'd be curious which way, which way the directional arrow went on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'd be curious. Hence the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, if only she had accepted our invitation. You Did, sent the wait, invitation. You called right? her, right? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> It's good. We need to work on that system. Okay. (laughs) Chapter seven. Book ends. Spoiler alert. Okay. Um, As we discussed way, way up in the beginning of this podcast, I enjoyed watching Corio develop definitely more than you did. I also loved watching Anakin develop into Darth Vader. And I, I felt this was similar to Corio developing into President Snow. Uh, mm. And as I was reading it, I just had this idea of what was going to happen. And I guess it's good that, like, you know, she surprised me because I it wasn't the ending I saw coming, but I still think my idea was better. <laughs> <laughs> so <gasps> I really, the whole time, wanted Lucy to be faking Corio out. I thought I was hoping that she was just pretending that she loved him the whole time, using him to stay alive, yeah. to, to get out of 12, to get what she needed. And I thought that aspect would have given so much more reasoning to President Snow's hatred for Katniss. You know, this girl from District 12, obviously that's there. But I yeah. thought, she, you know, President Snow would have seen right through the fact that she's pretending to love PETA, at least at first, in the first book just like Lucy had done to him, if it was my ending, 
you know, and it would have brought back this like trauma of being like, oh, I hate women and women are just pretending they love you to get what they want. You know, like that would have been his kind of his um, his background a bit more. One one hundred percent. The whole time I thought that was happening, the way it was written, like Lucy Gray was such a strong, mysterious character when we first meet her. And it like it, it feels like she's playing him. Right. And I guess maybe Suzanne Collins wanted us to 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 wonder about that. But I wish that she had followed through on it because it would have it would have narratively made more sense. I'm, I'm, I agree with you 100 percent. Yeah. Did you is that that's what you were hoping would happen as well? Yeah, totally. I, well, I mean, I, that's the character I was rooting for. So that makes sense. But go ahead. Yeah. And how could this awesome girl that we both have crushes on like this narcissistic, mean person? Yeah, you're better than that, LG. Yeah, LGB. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you 100%. I think that that would have been a better ending. And uh, I wish we could have gotten in there and told uh, Collins before she finished this book how she should have finished it. And what uh, what about you? But speaking of which, before we... So that's my main question is, right? Like, so Lucy Gray disappears, right? Like she, when Snow turns on her and um, decides that the only way that he can kind of keep safe face and keep climbing socially and succeed at his main goal, which is like his own success and the success of the snow name is to kill Lucy gray. And he like kind of flips out and turns and tries to do that. She disappears. Yeah. And we don't know what happens to her after that. And so, you know, you're left as a reader being like, you know, does she, does she end up dying? Does she, does she just 13. live in the forest? Does she escape to district 13? Like what exactly what happens to her? Um, so it, what happened in Wordsworth? She makes it to District 13. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, I have sad news for you, Danny. Oh, no. She, she does not make it anywhere. Oh, God, I knew it, you stupid Wordsworth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should have seen it coming with all her sad songs. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, she So Wordsworth actually spoke about... Uh, this girl so this is based on a real girl that his that wordsworth's sister told him about who uh disappeared in the snow in a snowstorm in halifax yorkshire and her footsteps were traced by her parents to a canal and they couldn't find anything of her until they later found her body in the canal I know, but the whole the whole poem. I mean, you should just go read it. It's a, it's it's a a little too long, I think, to read through the whole thing. But it really does describe the kind of girl that Lucy is. So I think she. I mean, obviously, she clearly took it from her because even that going missing in the snow, just the footsteps. There's the canal. It's like it's all too appropriate for the book. Yeah, that's even what Lucy's Lucy Gray's name song, right? The the Covey who you mentioned when we were talking at the beginning have a name song for each of them and her name song is about a girl disappearing in a snowstorm i'm pretty sure so yeah it is definitely very you know there's plenty of foreshadowing that she's going to disappear and we're not really going to get resolution although it sounds like um wordsworth knew the ending and so suzanne does too but all that being said so that's like the actual story but as i said it's very long but i'm just going to read the last uh two stanzas So they followed from the snowy bank, the footmarks one by one, into the middle of the plank, and further there were none. 
Yet some maintain that to this day she is a living child, that you may see sweet Lucy Gray upon the lonesome wild. Over rough and smooth she trips along and never looks behind and sings a solitary song that whistles in the wind. Hmm. So although the actual story that he took it from does end up with the body being found, his actual poem is the other version that she could still be out there living in, in the, in the wild. That's true. Although it makes it sound like she's, that's what I was going to say. She's eternally a child. So I guess maybe it's like her ghost or whatever. So it does also kind of imply that she does die. Um, Yeah. Yikes. Okay. Well, that's a depressing revelation. (laughs) Well, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but I, I I couldn't not bring up that fun uh, tidbit. Yeah. It's not so fun. (laughs) I couldn't not bring up that tidbit. It's okay. It was satiating. Hey. (laughs) Chapter 8. Lightning Round. All right, so in this chapter, we're going to just take a quick stab at mentioning anything that either Joey or I uh, had wanted to bring up at some point in the pod, and we just, for whatever reason, uh, the conversation didn't lead that way. The first thing that I wanted to bring up, Joe, is how often Snow drops his family motto, Snow lands on top. (laughs) yeah how hammy that is yeah yeah do families have mottos is that a thing <laughs> coleman's never give up <laughs> is that our motto coleman's That's... are nice <laughs> yeah but that doesn't have the pun element that snow lands on top uh, does coleman coleman's have canaries <laughs> <laughs> coleman stoke the flames Ooh, oh. i like it okay Co- coleman just keep shoveling Coleman are dirty. (laughs) Coleman, not the camping equipment though. (laughs) It doesn't work as well as snow, Uh, I guess. Yeah, this is fun. The other thing I wanted to mention that really bothers me, uh, and this is in general, and this is actually applies to J.K. Rowling too, which is the character names. Like they are terrible. (laughs) Like where is she? It's always some sort of weird exotic first name and then like a sound effect for a last name. I feel like they're all like Agrippicia clunk. Here, look, I'm going to go get I my book too called... so we can do this. I'll be right back. I, I have them all here now too. And you're, you're very right. Satiria click. <laughs> Volumnia goal. Okay, there you goal. go. <laughs> Clemencia dove coat. Casca High Bottom. Oh, that one's a little different, I guess. Grandmom. Sejanus <laughs> <laughs> <Sejanus> Plinth. <laughs> She's asking her two-year-old uh, daughter and son what the name of the last name should be. <laughs> well, uh, they are not doing a good job, I think. It's so silly <laughs> and formulaic. Uh, not a fan. Mayfair Lip. See, it's all of them, I'm telling you. I think I knew what I was getting into when reading the prequel of a trilogy where I only liked the first book. <laughs> I did too, but it's still, I guess, I I can't help but hope. I can't help but hope, and at the same time, be resistant to the possibility that it was going to be as good. So I was set up for failure, I guess, or disappointment. If she wrote another one, would you read it? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not going to buy the book this time. I think I'll 
get it from the library. <laughs> it's a good idea. Fool me once, twice and three times. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> Shame on Shame on you. Chapter nine. Book marks. Danny, I'm very curious. If you had to rate this book out of ten, what would you rate it? Ten being the best. <laughs> <laughs> I give it a solid seven. It made me laugh out loud a couple times. I got into the story. There were, even if I didn't love the narrator, there were a couple of really compelling characters that featured pretty strongly. Um, but it really feels like it lagged in the second part of the narrative. You know, like once he ends up in District 12 and we're like bird hunting for pages on ends. Um, yeah. And, and overall, it just, it was too much of a hard sell, I think, for me to 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 read a book where there was a narrator that I disliked this much. Okay. I mean, seven's a, a better score than I thought you were going to give it. Yeah, I'm a pretty lax grader. <laughs> Can you be my anatomy teacher? <laughs> yeah, if you're okay with sevens. <laughs> <laughs> seven out of ten is a higher score than i thought you were going to give it what would you rate if you had to combine them books two and three six this was more fun great than okay. books two and three good question great i'm i'm on i'm on the same page pun intended as you are for for all all of the above like seven is what i have written down too huh. because that's yeah, lower than i, I mean, thought you were going to do yeah, no, I mean, we've, we have like, we've read some, I'm a tough grader. We have some, <laughs> we've, we've, we've read some like really, really good books that I love. And I, I feel like it, it with, if it's on the same scale as those ones, then I can't, uh, I can't give it more than a seven, but I did enjoy it. Like seven, seven's good for me. I like it. It was fun. It was a fun read, but I, it's not the book I'll recommend to people. Right. So I guess that answers the main question of this whole podcast, which is, is this your new favorite book? It sure is not my <laughs> new favorite book. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, wholeheartedly agree that it is not my new favorite book, but um, it's my second favorite Hunger Games related book. Man, we are just two peas. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe podcasts need people that have more different views than the two of us. That's, well, we act like we disagree and then we just come together at the end. <laughs> Yeah, that worked out nicely. We like it was kind of like a little sandwich, <laughs> yeah, an Oreo, if you will. Yeah, my favorite kind of sandwich. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Chapter ten, book booking. Hey, you're excited. I'm excited. We're all excited. What's the next book that we all should get and read? We are taking a 180 from Songbirds and from Snakes. But also from every other book we've read in our book club, even pre-podcast. Wow, nice. Impressive. I'm excited. What is it? The Chestnut Man by Soren Sveistrup. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that I'm electrified immediately. I don't know anything about this, but I'm, I'm excited to find out about it. So, Do you want to give us a, a taste of why, why we're excited? Oh, yeah. We're excited. It's got uh, 4.20 on Goodreads, and it's actually written by uh the same the creator and writer of the hit scandinavian show the killing and it Ooh. is uh i guess what would you call it like a horror it's a, it's a, it's about mur a, it's about um a serial killer so, like so a, th we're getting, a thriller 
we're getting yeah we're gonna get scared both of us are gonna get scared in this i'm positive (laughs) we're two guys who don't like roller coasters or horror movies are about to read a thriller that sounds promising yeah yeah it's about a psychopath that is terrorizing copenhagen okay i'm already scared (laughs) (laughs) this has been your new favorite book club Please remember that the first rule of your new favorite book club is that you do talk about your new favorite book club. So subscribe, rate us, give us a review, please. That'll help us grow. It'll mean a big deal to us. And don't forget to check out your local library for our next book. And until then, this is your brother Danny, along with my brother Joey, reminding you to keep your hearts, minds, and books open. Bye, guys.